What's happening in the canine industry? For all the latest news, views and expert opinions, stay right here for the canine paradigm. You'll hear from industry leaders, experts, doyens of the industry, learned colleagues, movers and shakers, and the odd Randy guest. Get the latest insights and expert advice from both here and abroad from the people in the know. Now, here are your hosts, Glenn Cook and Pat Stewart. And I'm Lofty Fulton, and I'm out of here. Hey, Glenn, we've got to do a new ad, mate. We do. We're long overdue. We're not going to be sponsoring Einzerwiener anymore. Yeah, well, fuck that no longer. He's fucking not paying us. <laughs> no. We've just figured out. No. Just, he's sitting right here in front of us, <laughs> and we've just figured out he hasn't actually been paying all no this time. No wonder there's no bread and milk on my table fuck. in this house. After we were just nice to him. <laughs> we're, just, fucking. we're just flattering him. We were just whining and dining him, <laughs> looking after him like a big fucking client. We'd look after and then we find out he hasn't find been paid out he the hasn't bill. Been paying us. bed. He's doing it right now, so we <laughs> we may as well tell people if they're in Australia and you need dog gear, don't get it from him. Well, get it from wait, him. Wait until he pays the get bill. Get it from him so that he can pay us. <laughs> What's your stupid website, Jason? E i n z w e c k dot com. There you go. Get your stuff from there. Okay. All right. On to the real sponsors. Yes, the people who actually pay the bills. Canine suticals. Yep. The best canine suticals. Premium grade, yep. human quality. Yeah. It's going gangbusters at the moment. Thank you to the community who have been supporting yeah. it. It's great shit. Dan Croft. Yes. In Canada. In Canada. Yes. Toronto, Canada, I believe. Yeah. Yes. What were we pushing for him? He's puppy class. Puppy class. Yeah. Amazing puppy classes in a great facility. Barbara DeGroote. From the heart dog training. Barbara just loves us and we she love Barbara. She just loves us. Barbara is our sugar mama. Yeah. <laughs> that literally is the thing's called, right? Yeah. The tear that she called. Yeah, okay. Yeah, the sugar mama tear. Thank you, Barbara. We Thank appreciate you. Thank you, Barbara. We love you. Horny George Kittredge. Yes. Rowdy Hound Dog Boxes. Yeah. yeah. The box is incredible. I saw it for the – did we talk about this? Have we done an we ad have. since? We yeah. have talked about how amazing the boxes is. You and I travelled from – where did you pick us up? What, what airport that was, was that? Uh, in Colorado. Colorado. He showed us the prototype. Yeah. We was talking through it. You and I were sort of thinking this is never going to take off. Yeah. And finally – he does it. He pulls it off. Not only does he pull it off, it's fucking brilliant. Like it's safe. And he also does classes where he teaches people how to use them as well. Like teaches the dogs how to get up on the bike seat and then load into the box itself. And it's bloody brilliant. It's incredible. Really proud of George. Lovely guy. And I'm really happy that this is paying out for him. All right. Daniel Trapino? It's actually Tropiano. He corrected me. Okay. So anyway, Daniel Trapino. <laughs> Dog Club, South Dog Club Australia. Australia. Yeah. It's a cool little facility he's got there. It's a there. great facility. Get yes. in, check it out. He does all the, all the training. Yeah, he's decked it out. He's got it all looking schmick. It's a bit street. It's a bit edge. It's a bit kitschy. You yeah, know? he's got some cool artwork. Yeah, it looks good. Check yeah. it out for yeah, sure. It's great. It's about time South Australia started lifting its game. Good on you, Daniel. Yeah, leading the charge down there. Well done. We've got a new one. Who we got? Tailored Canines. We have too. They contacted us on Instagram, yep. stumbled into our advertising <laughs> tier, and away <laughs> we go. Yep. So they're in Canada. They are. They're in Ontario. Gold, Nipopo gold people, yeah, gold multiplicators. I think, I think they're a gold multiplicator. Yep. yep. So if you're recently certified as a silver school and you're mm-hmm. looking for somewhere to do your gold yep. and you're around the Canada or just anywhere up that northern part of the Americas, check it out. Taylor so they Canines. do puppy, adult group classes, private and board and train programs. There you go. So thank you for jumping on and advertising with us. Hey, everyone. 
If you would like to be an advertiser, <laughs> don't do it. Reach out to us. Shut up, you buffhead. So I know that on Patreon, and we appreciate people just putting money in there. That's wonderful. Yes. But we do have to limit how many people we have. And so get in contact with us. Make sure that we actually can serve you and that we actually, you know, can provide you value as an advertiser. And that you align with our ethos as well. Of course. That's very important. That would be appreciated. To recap. Our sponsors are, and the people we love because they give us a lot of money. Yes. Well, it's not a lot of money, but some money. Yeah. Einzewick, he promises he's going to do it. He's, look, I'm looking at him now. I'm looking at the reflection of him fixing Has it. Has that gone through yet? No, because still trying. has got shit behind <laughs> Dan Croft, Puppy Classes, yep. Cool Facility, Barber de Groot. Amazing sugar mama, love her, from the hot dog training. George Kittridge. Rowdy Hound Dog Boxes. Daniel Tropiano, Tropino. Tro- dog clubs, Troppy <laughs> Daniel, <laughs> dog clubs, <laughs> Australia, yeah, and new to the family, tailored canines, yeah, all the way from Ontario, Canada. So we've got two Canadians. That'll do advertising. Yeah, mo- do. mostly from the United States. One from Oz. Well done, well played. Thank you, sirs and madam. Check them out. They support us. You yeah. should support them. Yep. Here's a show. There's a show now. Here's a show. Welcome back to the Canine Paradigm. I'm your host, Pat Stewart. I'm joined in the studio by my co-host, Glenn Cook. Welcome back to Australian Shores. We're home. We're home. It's been a long time since we've actually recorded in here. Yeah, it is. You're it's right. It's probably a month or so. Yeah, it has been. Because we've been all over the place, been busy. We overlapped our US trip. Like I was there for a week before you, mm-hmm. then we were for a week together, and then you stayed a week after me. It was great. Have a good time? Terrific. Yeah. What Love was your favourite part? All of it. Yeah. There wasn't anything about it that I didn't like. Really? Nothing. There wasn't an experience over there. There was nothing about it at all that I didn't like. Really? I, I enjoyed everything. That's amazing. From the minute I arrived there, I wrote a post about it on my Facebook where I felt quite anxious leaving the shores. Mm-hmm. I was standing in the airport. First time you've done that since 2019. Yep. Yep. I was standing in the airport and I was sitting there about to hop on the flight and I was thinking to myself, oh, do I really want to do this? Mm-hmm. Do I really want to go over there and there's shit going on in the world at the moment? Do I really want to jump yep. on this plane, go all the way over, fly through the night for 14 and a half hours and get into another country? Mm-hmm. You know, when I'm comfortable, I've got things going on at home, I'm happy where I am, I'm yep. in my own little space, do I really want to do this? And I was having like a bit of an anxiety attack. It was confronting. I was yeah. sitting there like lost in my thoughts about this whole dilemma about hopping on this plane and going on there. You know, like Narelle's got things going on. I was thinking about the dogs. I was thinking about everything. Like yeah. life just sort of fell in on itself. Like I had this circular thoughts. Do you get the same? Mate, I never used to, but now I get quite bad travel anxiety. It's weird, isn't yeah. it? It's that trip at the airport. And on the tarmac is usually where I'm like, what am I doing? Why yes, am I doing yeah, this? Yeah, it was exactly right. I was in the plane sitting in my seat and like I was having a breathing moment. Like I was sitting there going, oh, fuck, I'm getting stressed. Like I can feel my chest tightening up and I'm saying to myself, just relax, take deep breaths. And I've never had that before. Yeah. Like if I fly domestically, I don't get that at all. Like I'm usually listening to a podcast or something while I'm sitting in the plane or, mm-hmm. or like putting my head back to go to sleep. Yeah. I wasn't like that at all. I was completely fucking rigid. I think it's the dislocation because like it used to be like, you know, pre-COVID, the idea of being trapped in another country is just, that's peculiar. Like, yeah. like that's so unlikely to happen. But that happened to a lot of people. To it, millions and millions and millions of people. Yeah, but yeah. especially in Australia. Like, we stopped. We're like, you can't come home. Yep. And, you know, with the cruise ships that we didn't let dock and the flights that we didn't let come back in and all that kind of shit. So, like, it's a real thing that has happened now. Like, it's, you know, you're blissfully ignorant of the fact that that could happen. Mm. 
And I don't get it at all traveling domestically because like I will get home. You can't stop me. Like I don't recognize your state borders. You know, what I mean? Like yeah. I'm getting home to my family. I'm, that's happening. If I have to walk, I'll get there. Mm. But when it's international, I don't know how to fucking fly a plane. That's exactly <laughs> like right. I'm not, I might be able to steal one, but I ain't going to be able to fly it, right? Like I don't know what to do. Well, I haven't even got my helicopter license yet. <laughs> <laughs> oh, yeah. But yeah, so I, it's since the first time I went back post-COVID, which was I was on like the fourth or maybe the sixth flight out of Sydney that like could leave post all the restrictions coming up, right? When I went to nationals in 2021, I think it was. Mm. And I had not a panic attack, like I don't want to overstate it, but I- A moment of anxiety. Yeah, where I was Mm. like, I shouldn't be doing this. This is a bad choice. And then it's not just the travel, like the potential of not coming back, but it's, you know, or being stuck, not not coming back, but, you know, I've got two kids and all that kind of shit. Like it's a lot to leave on my wife, you know? Like it's a lot to be like, good luck managing all this while I'm gone. And maybe- who knows when I'll be back because God knows what can happen in the world currently. It's a weird thing. I think what compounded it for me was a couple of weeks prior to that, Narelle was doing like a circuit with Canine Surgical. So she was like in Melbourne doing the Dog Lover show and mm-hmm. then she had the Pet Expo or the Pet Expo show, whatever it's called. Like she was gone for two, four weeks right. and she was down there and I was working and doing the dogs, which she does all the time anyway. Like mm-hmm. she's a powerhouse with all that sort of stuff. But she got back. She was there for a week. And we were sort of stuck in this little bubble in that week. And then I was going and I was really excited about it. And then all of a sudden I wasn't, Mm. you know, I'm thinking, "Mm, this is just feeling not right at this point in time. Then it happened, you know, I was on the plane and I I resided myself that it was happening and I, you know, it was too late to do anything about it. The flight was happening. I was in there and I just settled into it and I had a couple of glasses of wine and sat back and watched a couple of shows. And by that time I was okay. And the minute I got there, I went through customs. The customs guy was really nice. We were chatting about PSA nationals happening over at Trophy Club. He was really enthusiastic about it. Like he's going, oh, that sounds cool. You yeah. know, where is it? And I said, Trophy Club. And he goes, oh, beautiful part of the world. You'll love it over there. It's great. He goes, got to go to the barbecue place there. It's fucking awesome. He didn't say fucking, but he said it's awesome. Mm-hmm. Which and, it is. Um, it is. We, swear by it. <laughs> we ate some barbecue, that's for sure. Mate, I walked out within three minutes and Uber had picked me up. Took me straight to the hotel. Guy was lovely. We were having a conversation. Got to the hotel. Jason, who was at the Hilton where we stayed, the Hampton Inn there, smooth, cool dude. Nothing was a problem for him. Mm. Booked me into the room, went up there, and I thought, oh, this is actually really nice. Had a shower, came down, grabbed something to eat, and by that time Janet, Gina, and Zoe all walked in. And it was like, fuck, I nearly burst into tears. I was so fatigued. Yeah, yeah. But I was so happy to see all those Friendly faces. Yeah, yeah. Yeah, it was just cool. We were chatting for a couple of hours and, you know, they were pretty zonked by that time as well. They'd been travelling from Hanover and Canada all the way down to Texas. So, Mm. you know, it was days and days and days of driving and logistics and planning with dogs and everything. But it was just wild to see them. You know, Mm. like I just saw them. I thought, oh, fuck, old friends, you know, Mm -hmm. people I haven't seen for a, a while. So that was really, really cool. The rest of the trip was just being around people, like seeing you again. I hadn't seen you for ages, seeing Sean. You know, I haven't seen Sean for four years. Again, that nearly fucking set the waterworks <laughs> off. You know, like I'm seeing all these people that I haven't seen for ages. So it was just a real collaboration of lovely, friendly people, which is also hilarious that we were calling Gina Jaina. Jaina, yeah. Jaina. She is hysterical. Mm. I had some fucking stellar laughs with Gina. Gina Allen is her name, folks. That's Jeff Allen's uh, wife who is a a part of the PSA family. (laughs) 
it's amazing how well we're always received there. And oh, I know, beautiful. like I, I always point beautiful out, people. I love pointing out to people that like, yes, we have the podcast now and pe- a lot of people sort of are aware of who we are and we're there. And, mm. and But it was like that for me before there was any podcast, like seven years ago when I was there. I, I know we spoke on this at the episode we do with April, but, you know, I was as well received the first time when nobody had any cause or reason to do that to me. They're so, just friendly people. Yeah. They're and, just good-hearted, polite, friendly people who have got impeccable manners. I don't think there wasn't a person over there when they first met me that said, hello, sir, like genuinely said it as a friendly greeting when Mm. they met you. And like you said, Pat, they just take you straight under their wing and and just guide you off and say, all right, well, now you're over here, let's get busy and Mm. get involved in whatever we're doing and take you around introducing you to people, buying drinks for you. And it's like, it was amazing. But I think what what was really cool and will definitely help us here in Australia is you got more opportunities to continue your judging apprenticeship. Um, You were scoring pretty accurately the level two obedience with Janet, like not on the field, but you were sitting there and your scores were very accurate to what they determined. Within about a point and a half. Yeah. So yep. that's that's great. Yep. You're understanding it that way. And then you were on the field for the protection, the the level three. And two and three. Level two and three protection. Yep. You were with the steward, with Joe, who was walking you through it all, getting you re- ready to understand that stuff to the level where you'll be able to judge it soon, which for us is a huge deal here, means that we'll be able to continue progressing to build and develop PSA in Australia. Some enormous thank yous that I want to put out there. As I said, I did do a post on my private Facebook group, but I do want to publicly say a massive thank you to Sean because Sean made everything happen. I was sitting there and he goes, you should be on the field. And he goes, I'm going to make it happen. And Janet said, yep, great idea. She was fully in support of it. I also want to say a massive thanks to Janet because she was getting ready to put two dogs in the twos. So she had Zell and Gecko. All through that time, I was literally chewing Janet's ear off about everything to do with judging. I probably asked her several thousand questions and she was patient with everything. She was involved with everything. She was helping with everything. She was listening to everything in detail. She was amazing, incredible. For somebody who would have had trial nerves, would have been thinking about getting her own dogs on the field, the time that she spent with me going through in in detail was incredibly helpful and I can't thank Janet enough. Mm -hmm. And then I want to extend that thank you to Joe Parks. I want to thank Clay Smith as well. And also want to thank Kevin Goaty for their relentless efforts in educating me, giving me pointers, showing me the ins and outs of everything that you could possibly think of. Then afterwards having debriefing sessions on what happened, giving me diagrams about it, setting me up with networks online so we can all communicate more effectively. Those three guys were just incredible. Even afterwards, we were having beers and so forth at the country club afterwards. Again, just going above and beyond, just wanting to fill me with information about how to better steward, how to better judge, what to take back to the country. Incredible, friendly, very experienced, very steeped in knowledge people. And it was just an amazing experience. I felt truly blessed and privileged to have that opportunity. So thank you, gentlemen, and thank you, Sean and Janet, for making that happen. For those who don't know also, Jerry was going to be there and his dog was sick. I reached out to Jerry not long ago and his dog's still going, but he's an elderly dog. He's in a bad way. So thoughts with Jerry. Hope he uh, gets through it okay because Mm -hmm. we all know what that feels like when we're deeply in love with our dogs. Mm. Well, it was a hell of a trip. It was a hell of a trip. I do have to say one more thing about Janet. Mm. The show her dog put on yeah. was just amazing. Yeah, All the dogs did great. It's the Nationals. Some dogs are going to pass and some dogs just aren't on the day. Some days it's your day and some days something goes wrong. But 
Gecko was a hell of a dog. Mm. Like he put on almost an impeccable, almost a perfect show mm. in the level twos at a national performance. Fucking amazing. Gecko is a wonderful dog in that he's a, you know, like a fantastic representation of the breed, right? Like he's very powerful in the work, incredibly strong dog and all the buzzwords, right? Yeah. But out of drive, he's a lot of fun. Yeah. <laughs> like he's a very enjoyable dog to be around. Sean and Janet's daughter dresses him up like a doll and paints yeah. his nails at yeah. home. So when people are worried about a dog at that level, he's also a family dog that comes and sits inside and just chills yeah. out and he's a normal dog. Yeah. They were doing some pre-trial training and he had his toy with him and he wanted me to play with him. He walked up and he gut punted me with that toy. Yeah, yeah. And man, it felt like somebody undercut me straight in the stomach. I wasn't prepared for it. Like I thought he's just going to bring it up to me. No, nah, that dog <laughs> rams you like a billy goat when he's trying to get his toy in your hand. So yeah. very impressive dog. A lot of impressive dogs there. Met a bunch of cool people. You and I were just talking about the vendor experience there. It was just incredible. Yeah. The show was, it was a carnival. Yeah, it is. Yeah. It is. If you're ever thinking, if you're ever on the cusp, because I've thought about it for years about going to nationals and never pulled the trigger. If you're in any other country and you want to go along to one of the national events, like pull the trigger, make it happen. Yeah. It's great. The community and the collaboration and the the atmosphere is just incredible. Yeah. That's the fourth time I've been. I hope to show there one day, you know, it won't be with this dog. It'll be with another one at some point, but it's a great time. I'm sure that for everybody that's there, it's great, blah, 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 right? But for us, it's a very intense experience because we're not at all the other things. So we sort of take full advantage of being there and we're, you know, mingling with everybody and just sort of, it's exactly as you say, it's a, it's all the people that you know and love in one place at one time, yeah. which is very rare. So it was great. It was a great time. We did some waffling before we went to the topic. <laughs> we did. <laughs> we'll see how well that's received. As I told you, we've had a lot of people who are dedicated listeners. <laughs> while, while I was over there, I had another week where I was at Michael Ellis' school. So mm. I just to fly on the wall. Cameron was teaching and Michael was interacting during that time. And sidestepping from that conversation, something that happened to Michael's dog, which he publicly announced, so it's not a secret, his little dog, Snug, got tetanus just before I got over there. And it's something that I've never, ever seen in a dog in my entire experience. Mm. Over 30 years of being heavily involved in the dog industry, being at boarding kennels, I've heard about it happening before, like Vets have warned that the possibility of it happening before. I've never actually known a dog that got it and never seen it before. And, yeah, his little dog, something barbed him in the foot. Michael and his wife, Carol, noticed there's something not right about the dog. They rushed him to the vet. They had to get a horse vet to check him out because they believed he had tetanus and then they found, yes, he has tetanus and they had to treat him for it. He's past his critical period, which is fortunate, mm-hmm. but terrible nonetheless. His ears are all pinched up like they're all crinkled up and really rigid and stuck up the top of his head. Mm. His skull, it looks like it's all been glued together. Like even when he tries to look, he can't move his eyes around normally. Like if he tries to look up or down, he can only see the whites of his eyes. He can't get up quickly. His legs were quivering. He's okay. We believe he's going to recover and he's going to be fine. But, geez, it's a, mm, a hell. Bugger. Yeah, Michael was beside himself. He was quite distressed about it, as you would be with yeah, yeah. getting a new pup and having that happen. But the vets do believe that there is going to be a full recovery. Narelle and I were back and forth chatting about it so we could give them some tips and so forth, and they've already had some exceptional veterinary advice over there. So hopefully he will get a blanket of health. But onto the topic, I just wanted to tell people about Michael's unfortunate experience with Snug and his tetanus experience, which was shit. Mm. People that I met at Cameron and Michael's course 
were talking to me about the podcast and they said, we really love the podcast. It's such a shame you guys are cutting the waffle out at the front because we, we really enjoy that part of it and it's a big part of the culture that you've sort of developed. And I said, yes, I know. As I said on the show, we have actually have had professional media advice where the person who was advising said for new people who come into the show, when they land on the show and it's you and Pat talking about your personal experiences, new people don't know you and they haven't built a relationship <laughs> with you and they don't care about like that. They're thinking, here's the heading. What's that got to do with the heading that you've put up? Like where is the information built on that? Because that's what I was preparing myself for. And yeah, I yeah. said, pack up the information, came back to me, told me all about it and I thought, yeah, he's right because I would probably be pissy if I didn't know two people. I went to a heading and I thought there's no information here. Like it's just... <laughs> Two people having a bit of a conversation with each other, which we're doing now. Yeah. We're giving you what you want, people. <laughs> well, some of them. Yes, some of them. But you do have a topic. I do have a topic. I wanted to talk about the power of having a community dog. Mm. The reason I wanted to bring this up is a very dear friend of mine, somebody that I have a lot of love for. Her name is Kim Grace. She runs the Grey Gums Cafe on Putty Road. Mm -hmm. It's a tourist cafe, but literally everybody who goes up the Putty Road in car clubs, recreational vehicles, and especially motorbikes. Like there's hundreds of motorbikes there every weekend. So explain for people who don't know, the Putty Road is the original sort of road up to the like Hunter Valley. Yes. Pre-freeway. Pre-freeway, so yes. It winds and it's a single lane. and It's the shitty way to go if you're in a rush. Yes. But it's the scenic way to go up the Hunter Valley. And so people like you guys, that's where you ride very often. It's a road that I literally know every bump and every turn and every corner of that road. Like yeah. I've been up at hundreds of times. Yeah. You know, over 10 years of riding the Putty Road, we flood that road. Mm -hmm. So do thousands of people. It's had a bunch of nicknames, the Widowmaker, because it's also killed a bunch of people too. Mm -hmm. Not the road. It's quite a windy road. It's I mean, a, I guess that's why you enjoy it. It's an intense road and a lot of people get up there and they get a little red mist, which means that they don't think about what they're doing. They just pull the trigger on their motorcycle and end up putting themselves in a eucalyptus tree mm -hmm. or hitting a kangaroo or hitting a truck. Mm -hmm. And like I've been up there when people have been dead, you know, like I've driven up and the police have stopped us or I've rode past when there's trauma on the roadside mm -hmm. and people are there treating them. I've also stopped and held people back together while we're waiting for ambulances to arrive. So mm -hmm. I've been a part of that. So I know how dangerous it can be and riding motorcycles dangerous. Anyway, that's not the point. What I wanted to talk about was Kim is an institution on that road. Like she runs the Grey Gum. It's the most popular cafe up there. There's a couple of other smaller cafes, but the Grey Gums is like the hangout spot. And for a good reason, because Kim is an exceptional person. She is an advocate for everybody. She fights for our rights. She fights for everything. She keeps the peace with the police and the bikers. She does everything she can to create community and atmosphere up there. Some years ago, Kim's husband passed away. He had a brain tumour. John Gracie's name was. Lovely guy as well. Didn't know John anywhere near as much as I know Kim, but Kim has become family to me, like she's personal friend. Mm -hmm. When John passed away, thousands of people went to his funeral. Like, it was incredible. There was a line around the block with all people that went there. It was probably one of the most packed processions in a church that I've ever seen in my entire life. That's cool. Yeah, it really was because of their love for Kim and John. Mm -hmm. During his eulogy, some people were talking and at the end they played some footage of him with the Neil Diamond song Shiloh. Mm -hmm. Obviously set off a lot of emotions with a lot of people, but... 
somebody bought Kim a rescue dog and named him Shiloh after the song. Everyone loved it. They thought it was a great idea that Kim needed someone to keep her. She's got company all the time and she's got a myriad of people she could call out to anybody, but they brought this little dog for her. He just turned up one day. So I was down there with Scott and Dave, who were my riding buddies, and this dog comes wailing out like he was an old soul and he'd been there for a million years. And I said, who's this? And she goes, oh, this is my new dog, Shiloh. And I said, he's really quite something, isn't he? And she said, it's amazing, Glenn. Like I got him and it just seems like he's been with me for a million years. Mm -hmm. She said he just planted himself here and took two looks around and said, oh, this is my home. And, you know, you and I are are friends now and this is the way things are going to be. You and I have walked the earth and we've walked with some people who have got some very dynamic and exceptional dogs in the working atmosphere But that's not what dogs are all about all the time. Mm. Other dogs need to be celebrated for the magic that they actually do to bring communities together Mm. because Shiloh was one of those type of dogs. And I say one of those type of dogs because he only just recently passed away, which is heartbreaking. I found out yesterday I got emotional about it. And I'm sitting there, I'm going, why am I feeling like this? Like why am I sitting there with like tears dribbling out of my eyes You know, like I wasn't openly crying, but I just had tears welling up in my eyes thinking about this dog. And the reason that I concluded that is because Kim made Shiloh a part of everyone's life. Yeah. He was a dog that came up. He always stole my bacon. He wanted nothing to do with my fucking egg and bacon sandwich other than the bacon. And I always gave in to him, always gave him some bacon. He was getting as fat as I am. You know, like he's (laughs) everyone feeds him. Like he's Kim keeps saying, everyone's feeding Shiloh all the time. But he was a wonderful dog at creating conversations. Like somebody at the table next to you would be patting and you wouldn't know these people, but because they were patting him and he'd come backwards and forwards between us, it sparked conversations between people. People started to talk to each other and create conversations over this dog. Like this dog united people and he created this beautiful atmosphere down there. And I just thought to myself, there's a lot of dogs that I've known throughout my time that have done that in themselves. Like you talked about Ernie in a lot of the episodes and how Ernie was like this yeah, he was like vagabond that, that yeah. just went around the neighbourhoods and united people. And even to a larger degree, which there was a movie dedicated to it called Red Dog, yeah, where Red Dog, he had all these adventures where he just lived with different people and he'd just turn up in their homes and houses uh, and people were fighting over whose dog actually is this. I'm surprised how many people in the dog world haven't seen that film, especially in the US, because it's an Australian film. It yep. wasn't a mainstream thing. I mean, it was a big film here. It, it was, was huge. huge here. It was yeah. huge. But, but it's it, an Australiana film. Yeah. Mm. And so if you if you haven't seen that movie, I mean, get your tissues ready. Oh, but, yeah, it's like, a heartbreaker. <laughs> like, spoiler, the dog dies. Yeah. But it, the dog dies at the start. The, yes. the movie is the dog is it's dying. It's a eulogy about the dog. Yeah. Mm. The dog is at the start of the movie, it's a guy walks into a pub and, and the dog's dying on the floor of the pub. Yeah. And everybody in the pub is telling their stories about the dog. Mm. So it's an incredible, it's one of the most wonderful films we've ever seen. Interestingly, the dog that played that dog's quite a mean asshole. Yeah, I'm not surprised. <laughs> <laughs> I, I can't remember all the details. I think Casey told me, but like the dog bit a bunch of people on the set. Like yep. he was he was not like the dog that he's portraying. <laughs> well, fortunately he played the part well. Yes. Yeah. Yeah, mate, those community dogs are a thing. Like my dog Ernie was a little bit like that in that I got him during an early stage of my army career because I was one of the first in my crew of guys that moved in with their girlfriend. And so no one else could have a dog because you, you're constantly away. There's no way you can have a dog in that circumstance. But I did. 
Yeah. Because it was, yeah, you know, Ernie was Jane's dog, really. He was not dog aggressive, but he had zero interest in other dogs. And if you went to a park, he'd be like, what the hell are we doing here? Like, I have no interest in hanging out here. He'd just stare at you, like, what are we doing? But what he liked to do was go running. And so he was the community running dog. Like he, people would just turn up to my house and be like, can I borrow Ernie? Because <laughs> I'm going for a run. And he would like, he was a border collie, you know, so he could run forever. Yep. He was seven when we got him. And so he was in his like, not his prime, but he was very healthy, fit, happy dog for the first, certainly three years that we yep. had him before he started to age. And people would just turn up and often not even like just let him out the side gate. He'd go running with him. They put him back away. He'd do that multiple times a day. He was this just everyone dog and you know he was one of those dogs that i mean i had a leash it rarely touched him you know like he would he just knew what was up he went the places that he was meant to go like he was just a very easy keeper but he arrived to me like that i didn't know anything about dog training when we got him and, and certainly i didn't influence his behavior at all probably the person he liked least in the world was me <laughs> <laughs> really yeah he loved jane back then i was gone so much that he just as i'm sure that he knowing what i know now like he probably was resource guarding her Right. Like, so he probably was like, Hey man, you're rarely here. She's mine. And I don't like the way that you get to just come and go and you get her attention when, when you're back and when you're gone, I get all the attention. So you should leave. Mm. That was definitely, you know, in retrospect, but me and him used to run all the time and people used to take him out. And it, it, there was a magic to that where people I love in the community, like all of my friends that lived in the same area, it was all like he was everyone's dog. He wasn't my dog. That's the thing about it. It's nothing to be taken lightly how some of these dogs really create this avenue of people coming together, finding each other. I know relationships that have started over dogs, Mm -hmm. you know, like people have come down the training centres. I can't tell you the amount of people I know who have got engaged and married and have children that are in their 20s now that were started over dogs, Mm. you know, like a dog started the collaboration of two people. They actually fell in love through the dog. So there's a certain type of magic to it. I'm not, again, I'm not trying to make it ethereal or spiritual or anything like that, but maybe it is. Maybe, Maybe it just is. As I said, when I was talking about Shiloh before and you brought up the fact that Ernie wasn't dog aggressive, neither was Shiloh. The amazing thing was is when you go down the Grey Gums, anyone who comes in off that road, there's people who might be in the Ferrari club. So there might be 10 Ferraris down there or it could be the GT club or the RV club or something like that in amongst all these motorcyclists. While people are coming in on cars, they're just bringing their pet dogs in as well. And some of the dogs that come down there are little turds. They're assholes. People will just stroll in with their dog on lead, hopefully, Shiloh will come up to say good day to him and this dog will try and tear him apart. He just stands there looking at him like going, sheesh, what's wrong with you? Mm. Where other dogs that want to engage with play with him, like he'll go over, have a nice little session with them and he'll say, okay, that's done. I'm going off to see people and scab their bacon now. <laughs> it's just a wonderful thing when you do see a dog that just fits in so well like that. Yeah, That was more of a case when – I was a younger guy and there weren't so many stringencies around dog laws and so forth. There were a lot of dogs like that in communities. There used to be a caravan park that I used to go down with the kid. Again, it was a very popular holiday spot. And to bring up another Australian film, The Castle, they talk about going to this place called Bonnie Doon. Going to to Bonnie Doon. Doon. That's the one (laughs) where he keeps singing that terrible song in the The car. The whole way there. Yeah, the whole way there. So Bonnie Dune was the cool spot to be back in the 70s and early 80s. It's like a weir, which is a it's a lake where they let the water out and it collects in a certain area. But there's fishing, there were boats on the weir everywhere. So there were people water skiing, caravan parks, there were bonfires, there were parties every night. Like it was crazy. It was a fucking great time to be alive. And there were dogs everywhere. Mm. There were dogs everywhere. 
And the same sort of thing because there were community dogs down there. And I remember there was another dog. I think his name was Atlas or something like that. There was a dog down there that I got talking to a bunch of people and their kids and me and my sister started to play together and then their mum and dad met my mum and dad and then all of a sudden we're all friends. Yeah. And that became, like you know, like a friendship that we had for years and years and years every time we'd go down to Bonnie Doon. We'd all find each other over this bloody dog. Mm. So it was amazing what it actually does, how it brings people together. You might not have anything in common whatsoever. You might be from other ends of the world. You might be from different sort of ethnicities. You might be from different professions, everything like that. But a dog seems to have this magic of creating conversation, like people come together. And I used to pretend I knew everything about this dog and I knew nothing about it. <laughs> I was fucking 10. What did I know? I didn't know fucking shit about shit. <laughs> but... I was pretending like I knew everything about this dog and I think it was one of the first times I really thought I actually like being around dogs. Like I like animals and I like getting involved in some of these activities. But I was trying to impress these girls that were down there and they were having no part of it. But other kids would come down and we'd all take the dog down and we'd go looking for bullfrogs together and the dog would come with us. You know, we'd go swimming in the water. The dog would jump in the water with us and go swimming around with us. And I don't even know if I knew who the dog's actual owner was. Like I'd never actually met the owners of the dog. He was just there all the time. Mm. So he could have belonged to the park. He could have been like a fucking stray for all I know. But he was there for probably a good six years and then one day he just wasn't. Yeah. And that was heartbreaking. You know, like I went down there one day, I'm looking for the dog. I think his name was Atlas. I can't remember. But I remember we were looking for the dog and we found out that he died. Like a car hit him on the main road. He was an older dog by by that time, nine or ten. I think he was going a bit blind and a bit senile. But a car hit him. And I remember the people who ran the, like there was a cafe restaurant, like truck stop that was up on the main road. And they had like a vigil for this dog. Like they were talking about him. It was just incredible, even as a young kid, that I can still remember the conversations and that most of the town there in Bonnie Doon turned up to honour this dog and yeah. they had a picture of him down in the caravan park. It was it was pretty cool. That's cool. Yeah. Well, when I was a kid, our first ever, the dog that I grew up with was this Border Collie named Panda because she looked kind of like a panda bear. What was it with you and Border Collie? Well, that's what we always had. We had her. Yep. And then when she died, I, I can't remember how old I was, but I was less than 10, more than five, like somewhere in that range. And then uh, we got another Border Collie because that's what we had, right? So my family, so that was Sasha. And then when it was time for me to get a dog, well, you get a Border Collie because that's all I've ever had. (laughs) So so that's why I had three Border Collies. But over like the span of their life, that's uh, 30 years of Border Collies. Yeah. So Panda, she was like a front step dog, right? And my parents live opposite this very big park and it's a dead end street. So that dog just used to kind of come and go as she pleased. So there's no traffic in the street and she would just go over the park. But what that dog understood was cricket. I can remember, I have memories of being a really young kid with my friend who lived down the street and we could play cricket forever because she understood there's a bowler, there's a batter and I'm the fielder. Mm. And so she could catch you out as long as you're playing with a tennis ball, right? Like so that you weren't smashing a teeth in with a real cricket ball. But you play with a tennis ball, she understood how to field. Like, you know, to what extent she understood, who knows? But all I know is that she chased that ball down every time and took it straight back to the bowler. Awesome. And yeah, every time. And yeah. so as a kid, what more can you ask for? Oh, that's brilliant. But she could hear like, because you know, opposite that park, there was a cricket pitch and people would go and play all the time. She'd be straight down. She'd be like, mm. oh, someone's playing cricket. Away I go. To the point where people would come to our house and ask to borrow her. Like they would turn up and be like, can she come and play? Because <laughs> come play. Yeah, because kids <laughs> in the area would be like, well, what? You don't, no one has to field. Yep. All you need, like everyone else can sit around and drink beers. 
All you need is a bowler and a batter because they're the only people that want to do anything in cricket anyway. The rest of everyone's just standing around. It's the yep. most boring game in it the is. world. <laughs> so like bowling and batting is the only action. Yep. And that's all you needed. The dog yep. did the rest. Yeah. It was incredible. And there's nothing worse when you're playing cricket and got that whole field and you've probably got about four people who may want to chase the ball and yeah. like and someone smashes it and it goes fucking a country mile yeah. in any direction. You get someone who's like, oh, yeah, I'm, I'm serious batter and they just keep blasting it into outer space <laughs> yeah. and you're like, oh, mate. I don't want not, to play anymore. I'm standing here with a beer in my hand. I'm not here for chasing this thing around. I'm just like, if it comes to me, I'll pick it up and throw it back to someone, but I'm not running around for it. Mm. Yeah, well, she would run around and do that. But, yeah, well, I remember I, could, I have a memory of someone coming over one day and knocking on the door and be like, um, like random person. We have no idea who this person is, but like, is your dog available? Can we? <laughs> can, can your dog that come over random, and play? Yeah, she would like because where where they live, that the park is actually sort of a part of what was at the time a hospital, like a and it was a mental hospital. She would just go and wander around up there, and the dog was always fat, and we couldn't figure out why. It was like, well, because she had a whole, she had multiple families. <laughs> Everyone feeds the dogs. Yeah, everybody yeah. Well, feeds was, the random. That's dog. the same with Shiloh. Kim was constantly saying. Oh, maybe we need to back off on feeding him because he's not eating his proper food. He's just getting like bacon and everything off everybody else. That concept that you were talking about before, front porch dogs, mm-hmm. that was a thing of my childhood. Yeah. There were dogs on people's front porch all the time. There weren't any locked gates. Dogs were just, you know, like they'd be on the front porch and they'd be cruising around the streets. Like it wasn't uncommon to see a dog just walking down the street. Yeah. And dogs are very sociable back then as well. Well, I think dog ownership in the West is really strange, right? Oh, not strange, but it's very different to the way it used to be and also very different to the way that it is, you know, in the East. Yeah. So having spent a fair amount of time in Southeast Asia and the Middle East as well, like dogs are kept very, very differently. And people's relationships with dogs can be very different, but some people have, you know, a relationship with their dog that you and I would identify with, like that we recognize and say, oh, I would keep the dog in the same way. But the dogs just kind of spend the day by themselves. They just kind of wander around. Mm. You see that? Like there's that video of Steve-O, you know, Jackass Steve-O? Yep. Well, he basically steals someone's dog, I think from Nepal. So like, have you seen that? No. Yeah, so I think he's in Nepal and he's there doing something else and I think he was going to the base camp of Everest or something like that. And when they're in the town, this dog, and it looks like a, you know, like most street dogs end up looking like skinny mallies, right? Like yes. that's what a dog kind of ends up looking like. when The you village just, dog. Yeah, village mm. dogs are just those kind of dingo looking, like that's what dogs end up like when you just let them do their own thing yep. and they, they breed. They back to whatever they were supposed yeah, to be. Yeah, a, a street dog, they all look the same. Yep. They're that. They usually got a curly tail. Yeah, pointy ears, yep. a, a, like a decent sort of like a shepherdish or a, a herder type snout. Yeah. They're skinny. But not like malnourished skinny usually, and they live to be seven at the most, right? Yep. That's an old street dog. Mm. But, yeah, there's this video of Steve-O where he, you know, this dog follows him around and he feeds it and starts following him even more and he decides that it's a rescue, that it's a street dog and has no owner and he takes it back to the US and makes it his dog. And I remember thinking at the time, I was like, that's someone's dog, man. That's how people keep their dogs. The dog yep. comes home and it gets fed and it just wanders around and lives its best life by day. Yeah. And what we see, like I think it's one of the things that's very, very frustrating to us in the working space you know, in Australia is how difficult it is to import a dog. Like it's a, oh, yeah. it's a disaster. It's a six-month or probably more. I think what a lot of people don't understand, like if you want to buy a puppy from overseas, that's going to be a 10-month-old dog by the time it arrives in Australia. It's got to do its quarantine. Now it doesn't have to do its quarantine like, 
like in a kennel, it has to do, I think now they've increased it to 30 days actually in quarantine here in Australia. And you have to book that in advance. It's very difficult to get a position of doing that, but it has to have its rabies test. It has to have its rabies vaccination and it's tighter. And then 180 days after that, it can enter the country. Well, they even closed down quarantine in Sydney. Like they used yeah, to have well, they built, Melbourne. Well, they built that super facility in Melbourne, which isn't enough. It's full. Yeah, they're, I know. They should have kept both of them open. Yeah. But anyway, I digress. But as annoying as that is, it protects us from people importing street dogs mm-hmm. because, you know, you see that all around the world. In, in, in the US, UK, they're big on people rescuing, and I use the term rescuing with inverted commas, basically stealing people's dogs, dogs that are living their best lives, just wandering around, living normal dog life and taking them off the street and then trying to rehome them. And some of them do fine. Some of them rehome fine, but others will never be happy with that life. Like they've never really interacted. They've never lived in a city. They've never had to interact with that many people. They're just scavengers. They live their best life wandering around. They get fed every now and again at home. And that's like what a dog's life is in those places. Well, that's and what that's life totally used to normal. be like in the 70s. You know, like yeah. there were dogs that would wander around the street. There are dogs that come out and play cricket and footy with you, as you were talking about before. There's a lot of well-intentioned social justice warriors out there who go and help themselves to things like that without thinking about the implications. But you're right. That was probably somebody else's dog. There was no consent or permissions. I wonder how hard Steve-O actually went around the village and actually... Yeah, I can't remember. It was years ago and I watched the video. But I remember at the time going like, oh, no, you've stolen that dog. That's, mm. that's someone's dog that you've taken. Well, if it's a legit street dog and it's nobody's property, then I could say, yeah, fair enough. It's probably he's given that dog a better life and a better circumstances. But if he never went round and sort of checked with the villagers and said, does anyone actually own this dog or is it just a dog that wanders the streets? Mm. That's a pretty shitty thing to do. Morale dogs are a big one in workplaces now. There's a place, a fire base in Afghanistan, fire base Tykes. So a fire base is a very small base, right? Like Tykes nearly got overrun a couple of times. So we're talking that's that smaller sort of base. And they had there a morale dog that is just this dog. His name was Drogo. Oh, yeah, and, you've talked about Drogo. Yeah. yeah. And so he would just, he was just the dog that you wandered said you around. Were looking forward to going up there to just, yeah, well, Drogo was, it was always town. the, like, he was the highlight of going to that fire base. It was a very dangerous place and it was not somewhere that you really wanted to spend any time, yep. except that Drogo was there. Yeah. He was an enormous, like, you know, whatever the things they have in Afghanistan are. We used to call them like Afghan wolfhounds, but they're not that. I don't they know. They look what like they Tibetan are. mastiffs. Yeah. They're just these enormous. Yeah. Dogs. Mm. The story of Drogo was that it was an ODA crew, which is like a, a, a type of US Special Forces, were on a target and he had just had his ears docked because they always cut the puppy, like all the dogs in Afghanistan, all their ears are cut off, not in the vet surgery. Yeah. <laughs> and so he had just had his ears cut off and they were on target. And this guy was like, no, nah, I'm not leaving you here and put him in his pouch and took him back to the base. And then the dog handler, who actually was an Australian guy. So he stole someone's dog. Yeah, he totally stole <laughs> someone's dog, 100%. The dog handler like kept him. So he was his dog. He fed him and he gave him his vaccinations and all the sort of shit that a dog has to have someone that's in charge of it. But the dog was no one's dog. It just used to wander around and it would just collapse with people. Super happy social dog. He hated locals, uh, which was tricky with the Afghan armies guys yeah. coming in and out. But everyone else, he was like, yeah, sweet. Was his enormous dog. And the, I didn't know he was there. The first time I ever got into Tykes was late at night. Everyone else had already been in there a long time. I pulled in in my motorbike and just basically fell asleep next to it. I'd been going at it that hard and woke up in the morning with a dog, uh, like asleep with me. And I was like, where did this come from? Bonus. Kind, kind of scared. Like, <laughs> yep. 
what the fuck is happening here? Most wonderful dog. And it's not uncommon in a bunch of army bases, but it's tricky because, you know, like there's the logistics of it and the fun police exist everywhere. But I know that in some workplaces now, especially in policing, I know that there was a guy, I think his name was Mark, who spoke at that ICP conference. He was an Australian guy, came from Victoria, he's a Victorian policeman, and he's in, he's got a program now running PTSD-type assistance dogs. And they have a dog now in the child sex trafficking department of the police. So these are the people who have to just see the worst, horrible, the most horrific shit. Churds or something, I think they call it or something like that. Yeah. So these are people who have to look at the evidence that you catch fucking people with. Like the worst job on the fucking planet and like the most, you know, psychologically damaging shit. So they've got a dog like in the workplace that when you're like, oh God, I can't handle this shit anymore. The dog comes over and is like, hey, you want to do, want to hang out? Want to... Want to cuddle and tickle me? Like, you know, just normal dog shit. And like, I think that that because of the, everybody's worried about being sued or a dog biting them and all that kind of stuff. And there's a fair concerns, like having a dog in the workplace, there's all these reasons why that is a problem. But I think that every time it pulls off, every time it's pulled off correctly and every time it, it goes well, it's an incredible thing. Yeah, you, just is. to have a dog in the space that you can just be like, "Hey, come over," and like you know, and that those social friendly dogs that just walk around and take food off everyone and get a pat and a tickle off everyone. It's a huge community building thing, but it's a huge stress reliever for everybody. I was about to say that is a actual fact of the stress relief that you actually feel. Maria brings her two little cavoodles to work all the time, and you know, workplaces being workplaces, and especially when you're growing and. You know, you've got multiple peoples coming in. A day of having meetings can be intense, but when she brings her dogs in, it lightens the mood all mm. the time. You know, like they're sitting in your knee, you're patting these little dogs and talking to them and you can see everybody's mood. All the stiffness goes out of people because they've actually got dogs to smile at and mm. something else to think of other than work, stress, mm. fatigue, all those other things that are going on. Yeah, you're absolutely right. The point that I was trying to bring up before, which I forgot about, was people in the US are very surprised that we're a rabies-free country. They didn't know that. There's a lot of people that don't understand that. So Australia, since conception, has been rabies-free. We don't have it here at all, which is why our biosecurity laws are so tight and why it is so difficult to bring dogs in because a lot of the diseases that exist outside Australia we don't have. Mm. You know, like we're largely protected from them. The red mite issue just got in with the bees, which has been a big problem for people who are trying to keep beehives and they have to fire all these bloody bees and killing all these bloody beehives because this red mite was introduced. Those sort of things, they're the reason why we do have tough laws. So I'm not opposed to those sort of things when people are trying to smuggle in reptiles and birds and seeds and all those type of things. I'm glad we do have strong biosecurity. I'm glad they do really put their foot up people's asses when they get there Yeah, because I don't want to find out we've got rabies and then that's another thing we have to deal with. Well, that was one of the funny things when Johnny Depp brought his dogs in illegally. Yes. You remember that? Yeah, I do. Yeah, when Barnaby Joyce got stuck into So Barnaby Joyce, for people who don't know, is a- One of our ministers. Yeah, but he's a pretty- He's a shadow minister. Yeah, but he was- He's a pretty bogan kind of, like, he's a polarizing character. There's a lot of people that don't like Barnaby Joyce. Yeah. But he was like, hey, if we get to those dogs before you get them out of the country, we're going to kill them. Yeah. And Johnny Depp and Amber Heard at the time are like, oh, we'll go for public support and public, like, get your fucking dogs out of this country. Yeah, oh, yeah, they were booed off the stage. Yeah. uh, That- yeah. yeah, that was a disgraceful act from, yeah. from those But two. then it was like an episode of the, <laughs> you know, in the <laughs> Simpsons 
with they, they fortune tell? No, but you know in The Simpsons with the – oh, I've got a story about that, but I'll get to that. Okay. You know where they come to Australia? There's that old episode of The Simpsons where they come to Australia and because Bart does that uh, reverse charges call that's thousands yes. and thousands of dollars to find out if the water turns the opposite way in the toilet. No, they were going to spank him or something yeah, like that. Yeah, and so – but they make them give this apology, right? Yeah. It was like that, what they did to Amber Heard and Johnny Depp. Like they made them film a video and I think it even stipulated in it they weren't allowed to wear makeup. Like it was such a bizarre <laughs> <laughs> like you both have to sit there and you have to apologize to Australia for bringing your dogs in on your private jet without the quarantine. Yeah. It was interesting because they sort of thought, oh, our fans will support it. And all of Australia was like, no, we don't support you at all. Like, yep. I don't know if you know this, but we're feeding much of the planet and that's happening here because of the biosecurity laws that we have. Yeah. And we're not interested in you putting that at risk. One of the guys that was at Michael's the other day on Cam's course, he is a game warden. Right. Uh, so he used to be a cop. He was involved in gangs and stuff like that. And then he switched over to becoming a, a game warden. And I think he's over in the Midwest. Mm-hmm. Philly's name is. Great guy. Had a lovely conversation with him. Very funny guy. But his work is actually quite serious because he's got to make sure that people aren't killing all the deer population. Mm-hmm. So his dogs go around checking people's car, making sure they're not killing deer out of season, smuggling them out. But he also was telling me about these zebra mussels that have come in off the bilge tanks and they dump them into the Great Lakes. And now they're, once again, it's an invasive species that got into America from one of the European countries. So his dog goes around into the lakes and checks for zebra mussels. So fascinating bloke, bunch of fascinating blokes and ladies as well, you know, like Shay Cook, who is there from, she does uh, Yellowstone National Park. She goes and does search and rescue. Is that a regular gig there? Because I get people being lost there all the time. Yeah, oh, yeah. 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 They were telling me that people get into the river. Shay was saying that there's a couple of particular rivers there that as soon as you climb into them, you're literally fucked. It's still water on the top, but underneath it's turbulent. Yeah, yeah, and it's called like the washing machine. Mm. So it just gets over and literally tears you apart and then throws you over a bunch of waterfalls and then they find bits and pieces of your limbs down mm. their track, which is very unpleasant for them as well. Yeah. There's a place in Dubbo called the Devil's Elbow. Have you ever seen that? No. Yeah, in Dubbo there's a – well, it was a long time ago. I haven't been there in forever. But there's a, a river and there's a part of it called the Devil's Elbow because at the, at the corner of the river – there's this like swirling undercurrent and you can't see it from the top. So if you go in there, you just basically get pulled under and drown. It's killed tons of people because it's indiscernible. Like it's not left and right of it. It's totally fine. It's just if you go into that corner, you get pulled under. I've only ever had one mild experience before when I was diving and I was actually in Fiji and we went out past this coral wall. It's like in a lagoon where the resort is. I've been on this dive like, you know, probably 15, 20 times. And it was just this one particular day where it started surging and they said we were going to call the dive anyway, but we went out a little past and we were just about to surface. Suddenly our dive computers are going mental because what happened, it started sucking us down towards the bottom and we went from like 25 metres to 35 metres in like literally a couple of seconds. It just felt I didn't even realise except my ears were really hurting from the pressure. We equalised. I looked at my dive computer and realised I'm 35 metres. I should be at 25. Mm. Um, so that was a little scary. We were low on oxygen and it was a fight to get back to the surface. Like I could really feel the fatigue and I thought, oh, fucking hell, I'm, 
I'm so not fit enough to be doing this all day. So what we had to do was go to the cliff wall and actually start climbing the cliff to get back up to the top of the boat. Wow. So that wasn't a pleasant experience and that was only a mild one compared to other things that other diver mates of mine have yeah. happened where they've been, you know, like literally spun upside down and sucked out, you know, like 100 metres out to sea further than what they wanted to be. And, yeah, they've had to have like little mini rescue sessions and all sorts of shit. So, yeah, it's not fun but that got a – Long way off community dogs. <laughs> <laughs> What's your favourite experience with that dog, Shiloh? When Mike Suttle was in town, Kim invited us to go on her property. Well, Mike wanted to do some hunting while he was here. Mm-hmm. I reached out to Kim and I said, do you know any property? She said, yeah, mine. I, I live across from Gregum. She did at the time. She doesn't anymore. She said, I've got like 100 acres. Come over and bring Mike. And, and I said, you sure? Like you guys have never met. She goes, if he's a friend of yours, Glenn, he's a friend of mine. Mm. So we turned up. Now Shiloh is always a social dog, like always. He came barreling down the driveway and he was really serious about telling us off when we first got there. And I thought, good boy. Because it was at the house. At the house. Yeah, right. He was completely transformed. When he was at Grey Gums, social dog, community dog, anybody, anything, no problems. The dog is as cool as a cucumber. What kind of dog is he? Like a Labrador Staffy. Okay. Yeah, I'll show you pictures. I'll post pictures up in the – once this episode's out, I'll post yeah, a picture yeah. in memory of him. But like a Labrador sort of staffy dog. But amazing, amazing dog. Just a fucking great dog. And yeah. we all loved him. Everyone loved Shiloh. And, yeah, when I took Mike there, he was telling us off, you know, like he was singing the song of his people while he was saying, you know, like this is my place and my mum's in there and you guys are trespassing on my property. Kim had to come out and I said, is he going to be okay? Like I've never seen a side of Shiloh like that before. And she goes, yeah, he'd be fine. She said, that's his area and that's where he sort of like lets everybody know this is my place. And I said, Kim, that's fucking fantastic. Yeah. And she goes, yeah, it is, Glenn. She said, actually, he makes me feel very safe because I can take him anywhere. She goes, I can I can let anybody do anything with Shiloh. And she said, and then when he's home, he's very protective of the property. Like he, this is his space and he lets anybody know who turns up. And I said, don't fucking change a thing. That mm. is the best thing about that dog. Mike and I were in there and Kim made us like mussels cooked in white wine sauce and she put on a – she's fantastic. Like she's just an amazing, beautiful, great friend. Mm. I can't say enough. I know that there's probably about 10,000 people without a word of a lie out there who would walk across broken glass for Kim. Mm. She's that type of person. We call her the mother of Putty Road mm. and she is. I've said it on this show before. She's the type of person – like when the world was on fire in New South Wales – she did everything she could to feed all the people that were coming in there, like all the fireys, all the police, anybody that needed to come into her property and sleep. She set up temporary sleeping stations for everyone. She did every fucking thing she could to accommodate everybody. She's a remarkable human being, like one of the best people. I, she should get a, an award of Australia. That's how good a person she actually is. Never met Mike. Totally was cool with him coming up there. We talked all night. We drank some good wine. We had deep conversations and just Shiloh protecting the place was my best memory of the dog. As dog trainers, we always hear, you know, when people say, oh, my dog's protecting me. And we go, no, he's not. He's reactive, right? Like that's our go-to. Yep. But you see them. They exist. They exist. And he was remarkably like that. Yeah. Like for a dog that when he was at Grey Gums and he was cool as a cucumber. I mean, you just would not see that dog show any adverse behavior at all. There was never a time where I've been there and I've seen Shiloh hundreds of times and there's never a time where I've been there and I've thought to myself, I'm concerned about that dog's behaviour. Yeah. He was the ambassador of great community dogs and that's why I wanted to sort of 
dedicate not just this episode to community dogs, but also to Shiloh because those dogs are far more important than what you actually realize at the time. And I did say that to Kim. She actually had a couple of dogs. There was a friend of hers who was involved in radio and I can't remember his name off the top of my head right now, but he had a little old Kelpie and when he died, because her and John and this gentleman were all good friends and she took on his little Kelpie and he was a sweet little thing too, but he didn't live long. He was a very old dog when she Mm -hmm. got him. And that was quite upsetting for her and the community when he died as well. But Shiloh is just ingrained in a lot of other people. I know, you know, there's a good chance I'm going up there Saturday for a ride. I've already messaged Kim. She's really feeling the hurt right now. So anybody who listens to this show, if you know Kim and you've been up Putty Road, send her a support message. I'm sure she'll appreciate it. Even if you don't know her, her name's Kim Grace on Facebook. If you want to send her a message, tell her you heard the show and tell her you're just reaching out to her about Shiloh, I'm sure she would be tickled about it, just that people actually thought something of him. Mm. Remarkable dog. Mm. You know when you get those dogs that really can read the play properly, like when they've never been trained to do it, they just know this is – They just read it and just go, oh, this is where I hang out, this is where I'm social, everybody's fine, I'm just the town dog here. And then at home, they're like, you come in here and I'll bite you because this is my home. These are my people. This is where you're not welcome. And there's no reactivity to it. Like if we were to diagnose it, it's it's resource guarding Like yeah. at the end of the day. It is resource guarding. <laughs> yeah. I mean, that's an area where he doesn't share with everybody else. Like yeah. because Kim's house was private to the business. Yeah. Like only friends and people would go around there. But even so- when he was there, he was that porch was his area. Yeah. And it was remarkable to, as I said, it was remarkable to see the difference in him. He was fine once we got up there and once he realized who I was, like he was like, oh, it's you. I know you. You've mm-hmm. been giving me bacon for the last six years or whatever it is. But do you reckon he would bite you if he, like, if you pushed it? Not me, probably Mike. Yeah. I don't think he would be a remarkable biter, but yeah, I think he'd do he'd one tag of those. You. Yeah, it's not like he's going to be a proper sustained bite, no. but he'd. He'd tag you on the back of the knee. But he had no fear of anyone either. I never saw the dog afraid of anything. I never saw him run from anything. You know, like we had Harleys turning up there. We had noise. There was constant calamity. There's people everywhere. There was dogs coming down. You know, like people would bring their little Jack Russells, their other staffies. There'd be German Shepherds there. That dog never backed down from anything. He yeah. never. It wasn't wasn't that he created calamity or he charged up or anything like that. But there was nothing that buzzed him. He was just cool hand Luke all the time. There's two dogs in my area. There's one at the cafe that they go to pretty regularly. Its name's Pongo. Yeah, Pongo. <laughs> Pongo. Yeah, and it just does its own thing. It's the owner's dog. Just wanders around the cafe. There's other dogs at the cafe. It never it never shows any interest in them. Doesn't interact with them in any way, shape, or form. Just does its own thing. If it sees a dog that like is too interested in it, it just goes inside. And it goes. It has its own little area where no one else can get to. Sort of behind the counter there. Yeah. So if there's a reason to, it goes in there. But it's great. And then there's another one that it's a peculiar case, right? So it's an older dog. It's a. It looks like a pit bull, but who knows, right? It's male intact and it lives at this mechanics workshop. Maybe that place is, you know, 150 odd meters from this park, like busy park on Norton Street in Leichhardt. And that dog takes itself to the park from the mechanics workshop. It just gets up and walks off. And the first time I ever saw it, I was like, oh, fucking hell, here we go. Like no collars, no nothing, adult male intact pit bull. How's this going to go? There's an off-leash area in that park when there's no fences, so the dog just comes and goes. I've watched it a ton, especially the first time I saw it because Rip actually came running over telling me that there's a stray dog in the park, right? So I'm sort of having a look. It never goes anywhere near a dog that's on leash. 
So it goes to the the park has like two sections, the the dog allowed, not allowed area. And it takes itself up to the dog allowed area and it wanders around and it talks to the other dogs. It like hangs out, plays a little bit, but nothing significant. And if a dog's on leash, it doesn't go anywhere near it. Like it, it completely stays away from it. Mm. And I don't have no idea. I've never met whose dog it is. If you call it over, it will not come to you. I reckon it probably has been captured in the past as thought of a stray dog and went through some bullshit in getting returned and was like, well, I'm not doing that again. So it avoids people like the plague, just wanders around, takes himself to the toilet, wanders back to his mechanics workshop. So what you're describing there is my childhood before things got complicated yeah. and technical and overreach. And but that's what I mean. So that there's still a few around. Yeah. Like you still see them. And I'm sure that like if yeah, the council see him and that's all over eventually. Yeah. But he does great. And a lot of them do. Yeah. But there are also some that don't. So totally. I, re- I recognise that because people listen to this and they'll probably say, so Glenn, are you suggesting that people should just let the dogs free on the street? Nope. Because I... Also, am a dog trainer that knows people and knows their what, what capacity. Do you think, what is it that changed that used to allow for that to be common practice and now doesn't? Insurance companies. Insurance companies are so powerful that anytime they realize that there's payouts happening for anything, they lobby the government and the government works in tangent with them. But it used to be more possible. Like dogs were just more capable of doing that. People had time. I think then. Lives were slower. Lives were slower. You didn't have seven-day trading. Sunday shops weren't open at all. Mm. Saturday shops were only open half day and you didn't have late-night trading. So it was literally nine to five, Monday to Friday, half-day Saturday, and Sundays were totally closed. Like the city of Melbourne, I'm sure I've said on here before, me and my cousins used to ride a skateboard around the city of Melbourne and it was a fucking dead zone. Mm. There was only occasional car on the street. So we used to ride down major areas of town. You could not do that at all now. Don't forget also back then dad would work and mum would stay at home. Mm. So there was always somebody at home as well. So there was always population in the community and wives would also come around to the house and talk with each other and bring the dogs around as well. So sometimes mm. visiting people in the neighbourhood would bring their dog around to play with the kids and all sorts of things like that. So dogs were far more robust then. They were more community orientated. I'm sure bites did happen. Because we didn't have social media and we didn't have everybody reporting on everybody's news 24 hours a day. Mm. It was very concealed. And if there were problems back then, it was usually a handshake. If kids were being shit, they got a flip in the air and told to pull their head in. People were probably a little bit more connected to like- Ruralism. Yeah. Yeah. Even in cities, people were a little bit more connected to the reality of animals and stuff like that, right? Yeah, they were. And the world has changed. And like I said- insurance companies have really monopolized the control over people these days. Like as soon as anything happens where they can start to see a leak in finances and the shareholders are complaining, they lobby and Mm. they get the laws changed around it. So insurance companies are incredibly powerful at changing the direction of how you and I live our life. Mm, For sure. Mm. It's been a great session. It's been a little bit. bit emotional. Yeah. Look, I've had my emotions about it. I'm feeling a bit more clear-headed about it today. But, yeah, I was a bit taken back about it yesterday only because, in part, Shiloh was my dog. Yeah, yeah. And that was the hard part about it. That's the part that got to me. Is yeah. And that's the part that I sort of came to realise is the reason I'm feeling sad about it is because, he, in part, he's my dog. Yeah. And he's, in part, thousands of other people who went to Grey Gums. There's, yeah. there's other people I know who listen to this podcast who go on motorcycle rides who know him and will be equally as upset about the fact that he's gone and also for Kim. 
just the dog's name, the connection to John, everything like that. There's history behind it all. Yeah. So what I would like is in the discussion group, if you do know a cool community dog that changed your life or you know that changed the community, let's talk about it in the community group. I'd love to hear stories about yeah, your dogs too. Yeah. Yeah. Before we wrap up, I think I spoke about her one time. The most I've ever grieved someone else's dog was a friend of mine, Gads, his name. He had this dog, Maya, May May, we used to call her. Yeah. She was this golden retriever and she lived the, you know, normal age of a golden retriever. I think she died at like 13 or 14, something like that. But because he and his partner got it, but then they broke up and he kind of kept the dog. And then he still worked a weird job of where he'd travel a lot. Maya would stay with all of us, like in, in this group. Yeah. And so cool. she was everyone's. She was his dog. Yeah. But she was everyone's dog. Yeah. I and, get it. And he would bring her around. She would turn up. She always had like a soft toy. And she was one of those golden retrievers that smiled. Yeah. You know? Yeah. Like, yeah. It, yeah. Whether, however, that's learned, I don't know. But she would turn up. She had the squinty little eyes and the little teeth. Yeah. Out. And like yeah. this weird growl of like yeah. showing your teeth. And she would, <laughs> she would always bring gifts. Yeah. And so whenever she would stay with you, like he would bring her around to be like, oh, you know, like he's gone for four weeks or whatever this dog's staying with you and she just kind of knew the drill she would have a little goodbye cuddle with him and then just walk in and she always had something in her mouth that she would gift to you yep. like here you go you can have this but you have to put up with me for the next four weeks <laughs> it was always like it was very clearly an offering yes. you know like here take this and she would give it to you and not want it back like that's yours now um, yep. but this is the payment for looking after me for the remainder <laughs> of the time and that's the most i think i've ever when he messaged everyone and said oh look may has died that's the most I've ever grieved someone else's dog. You know, like you can be sad, but normally when someone's dog dies, you're kind of sad for them. You know, like, oh, like yeah, I, exactly. I can identify with that. Yep. I have had dogs die. I know what that would be like. That feeling is horrible for you. I can share that. Like I can it's empathize. An empathy. Yeah. yeah. I can empathize, but it's not my feelings. But yep. it, that's the first dog that was not my dog in any way, shape or form, but really was my dog. Yep. I'm getting you. Yeah. Yep. I felt that yesterday. Oh, all right. That's it for another episode, Counter Paradigm. Mm. As always, if you like what you hear, like, rate, share, subscribe, do all that through whatever subscription service you download us from, then just do it to another one. Yeah. They don't check. No one checks. Well, they should. They don't. I know they don't. You can say anything you want, but only say good stuff. Yeah. I mean, you can say anything you want. People do. In a, cu- <laughs> a couple of times. Yeah. If you want to support the show, best way to do that is Patreon. Jump yes. in there. A few bucks a month, get you this giant backlog of information. You as just did well. one, didn't you? Did yeah. the live? Yeah. I still want to do that live with you about uh, about PSA. About PSA, about yep. judging and stewarding. Yep. We definitely got to do that. Jerry did a really good one mm-hmm. on PDC and PSA one mm-hmm. on controlled aggression. Mm-hmm. If you are in the sport and you haven't heard it, I highly recommend you listen to it. Mm-hmm. I mean, listen to Controlled Aggression anyway. It's a great podcast. Mm-hmm. You're a huge advocate. So mm-hmm. am I. Jerry's family to us and there's a lot of exceptional information. That episode was terrific. Mm-hmm. It was really terrific. It was kind of like, oh, that's kind of what I want to do on Patreon, but <laughs> only better. <laughs> I want to do it with a video. Yes. That's it. Mm. Yeah, so Patreon, jump in there. There's this giant backlog of information. There's new stuff going in there all the time. There's a live stream once a month and I don't know, anything else you want in there, just let me know. Mm. I'm always open to suggestions. If you, another way to support the show is to get into spring, buy yourself some cool merch. That's a fact. Hey, I got an email from someone saying that they bought something, not TCP stuff, but my stuff from spring and that the print came off in the wash. Yep. Just take it up with them. They'll, yeah, absolutely. They're pretty good. They, yeah. They'll replace that shit. They fixed that stuff. Yep. I've had staff before that when they unpacked it, it was stuck together and it peeled apart and- 
the print didn't last, so they contacted Spring and Spring said, keep that one and I'll send you out a new one. Yeah, my understanding of how that company works is they then just subcontract the printing they to do. someone locally. It's basically so, a marketing company. They yeah. just organise it and they find printers around the world and yeah. say, print this. But my my experience with them, if you ever have stuff, whether you buy it from us or anyone else, is they want to know if something's not good because they don't know. Like they then just contact their network of printers that are close to you and that gets printed and sent to you with all the specs that we gave to them. So they'll replace shit. They're pretty good. So get in touch with them if anything goes wrong. Yep. And we get six bucks a shirt or something like that. Yeah, it's only a little bit, but it still counts. Yeah, but it, it's uh, it's supporting the show via like putting the brand out there. Yeah. We try to make cool merch. We do. And mm-hmm. it's nice when you go around and see it. It's the best. Yeah. It's wonderful when you see people wearing it. Yes. And if you want to get in contact with us, best way to do that, jump in the Facebook discussion group. There was actually an incredible post in there just a few days ago. Someone talking about how they're in the process of binging the show, that they're latecomer to finding out about the show or newcomer, whatever you would say, and that they're smashing through the episodes. <laughs> there were some incredible comments. It was a really nice discussion. It was actually very heartwarming because Dog World can be an interesting place. You know, sometimes you some of the best people I know I meet through Dog World and, and other times it's just a challenge to have to maintain civility with some of the people that we have to deal with in the dog world, right? Like that's just reality. Indeed. But reading that post is incredible. It was really heartwarming. One of the things that I'm aware that we're entitled to change our mind. I know that that's a good thing. But listening to us change our mind, or certainly me, I know that I've flip-flopped on many things over the last five years. Hearing that over a five-year period, you're like, oh, well, Pat's evolving. But if you're knocking out five years worth of stuff in a few weeks... You must be like this fucking guy. <laughs> this fucking guy keeps changing his mind about shit. We both keep changing your mind. That's part yeah, of the that's evolution. Fu- yeah, that's evolution. But when you're just getting the, the fast track version of that, that would be I, – I imagine that would be super frustrating. I listened to 10 of our earlier sessions. The quality was just doing my fucking head in. <laughs> it was. I'm just thinking really, really you went all the way back to listen to that again? Like yeah. it's – I'm proud of where we got to these days, like where we've evolved to from where we were. But I'm also proud of that in a way that we knew nothing about podcasts. We knew nothing about media. You know, like you, me, and back in those days, Narelle sort of, you know, like we all sort of sat in a room and worked out how to get the website going. That's right. Narelle did the original uploading. Narelle built the website for us. Yeah, Yeah, she built the, the original website. She connected into our directory and said, how do we make all this happen? So she did all the technical work in the early days and then handed it over and said, okay, I think I got it working because it was just a fucking shit show back yeah. then. We didn't have Adobe Suite back then. Yeah, so, the, oh, it was just horrible. It was fucking horrible. <laughs> <laughs> We're still pretty basic, you know. Like now all the podcasts are filmed and they do all the clips and all that kind of shit. Like without – we're very lucky that we got started when we did. Yes, we developed an anchor. Yeah. Mm. Anyway, get in the Facebook discussion group, say nice things to others and about others. Oh, speaking we- of, I just need to fucking insert there. When I was at <laughs> Michael's place, I was chatting with Cameron. Cameron showed me his multimedia studio. I got FOMO big time. Yeah. Oh, I got so jealous. I'm yeah. looking at him going, you <laughs> well, we're still saving for our Apple Vision. We're closing well, in on when that's going to be available. Interesting thing about that, they're only making so many. So oh, really? it's a limited edition, so good luck. Surely everything's limited edition. They don't make an infinite number. It's really short and they're basically saying unless you're connected or anything like that, it's a fat chance that you Wait, get someone one. did email us this. Someone said, we got an email. I did have we? to dig that. Yeah, I, and whether it was, maybe it was a message, I can't remember. Please, if you're listening, 
forgive me, I can't remember your name or how that came through, but we did get someone say, I work for Apple and, or my husband works for Apple or something and we'll be able to, to hook you up. Not free, but like we'll be able to get one. Well, free would be Two. good. Our money's fucking running out of Patreon <laughs> at the moment. <laughs> so anyway, yep, jump into all those ways. And if you want to get in contact with us, you can shoot us an email. We are info at thecanineparadigm.com. I love you. Goodbye. What's that with your love you? You've got to explain <laughs> that now. I just started saying it. Okay. I love everyone. All right. E-L-E. Everyone love everyone. Yep. yep. Goodbye. Some people don't hear that anyone loves them each day, and so they can hear it from me.